and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, who's familiar with this story? Okay. Yeah, it's like if you spent any time in Sunday school, you're probably familiar um, with this story. Um, maybe you're like my wife, who every time she hears the word Zacchaeus, she thinks of Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Okay. Who's familiar with the song that I'm referring to? Okay, a lot of us. Let's just sing that song together this morning, shall we? Okay, I'm going to start. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And when the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said... Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. And now, and now everybody is familiar, whether you want to be or not, with the Zacchaeus is a wee little man song. Jeremy's really happy that I don't try out for the worship team. You have to lovingly tell me that's not your gift, brother. Go do something else. Surely, if you've spent any time in Sunday school, you're uh, familiar with that text, or now you're familiar, at least, with this song. And it, it's interesting, because as I'm writing this, uh, this message, up, my, my computer, my Mac, actually wasn't familiar with how to spell the word Zacchaeus, which I was a little surprised about. Usually, my Mac is pretty smart, so I had to teach my Mac, you know, you can, like, right-click on the word and learn it. So I had to do that this week. So I was actually surprised that uh, my know-it-all Mac didn't know it all. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Oftentimes, um, we come to, to Scripture and, and we're familiar with texts. And one of the dangers with that familiarity, like in this text, is that it can hold us back from seeing what the author truly intended for us to get. Familiarity can, if we're not careful, it can predispose us, it can kind of push us towards a direction of certain interpretations, certain implications, certain beliefs, and lock us into seeing things too simply, or too complex, or maybe just wrong. And when Pastor Aaron asked if I wanted to teach in the next several weeks, I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll look at some texts and I'll, and I'll kind of read ahead and you're just kind of giving me free reign to pick what I want. He said, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I was thinking. I said, okay. And these, these 10 verses grabbed me. 
And as I was praying through and wrestling through the text, the reasons for being grabbed by these 10 verses became more and more apparent and became more and more convicting personally. You see, this text isn't a text that should fall into the category of familiar for us. I mean, this this week, God has shown me some deeply rich, deeply hard, deeply significant truth. And truths, in all honesty, in more avenues than not, as I studied through this text and read uh, different people's opinions on this text, the conclusion that I arrived at pushed back on a lot of those things. And as I prayed and even discussed this wrestle with others, it became clear that there just was simply a disagreement between my reading of this text and say, the reading of the text that inspired the song that we just read. And that disagreement can probably be summed up with one simple question. And the question is, who and what is central to the Zacchaeus was a wee little man song? Who do you walk away from thinking about once you hear that song? Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus and his actions are the things you remember. They are therefore directly or indirectly the central person and the central actions of that song. And I don't think that's what the text desires for us to remember this morning. You've got a song that highlights in your mind, it plants the text in your mind, and it notes out a small-statured man, that's just a fancy way of saying a short little dude, his ability to scurry up and climb up a tree, and his response when Jesus calls him, Zacchaeus and his actions and the things that he did. And I so desire for this text to mean more to you and to me this morning. I desire for our understanding of this interaction between Zacchaeus and Jesus to be more than a man's curiosity that led him up a tree to see what he might see. I desire for us to recall more than this man, Zacchaeus more than his actions, because I believe that the text intends to teach more than that. That this text is speaking out greater truths than some of the images or pictures captured by the familiar reading of the text that maybe you and I have experienced in the past. It's my desire that this text point us to greater lessons, greater truths than that of this man, Zacchaeus. So let's look at the text again and ask the question, who's central in the text? Who's central? Jesus. It's like, is he asking a trick question up on stage? I don't want to be that guy. That's right. Okay, get this. The Sunday school answer is actually right. The Sunday school song is wrong. Okay? 
Jesus is central. Jesus' actions are central. He is the main character in this passage. But even more than that, he's like the interpretation key because it's the intent of this text to overshadow all things in comparison to this Jesus. It's the intent of this text for us as its readers to read all elements of this text and interpret all elements of this text in light of this Jesus and his actions. That's why there's disagreement. Because one reading makes a man, Zacchaeus, and his actions Central and the other aims to make the specific Son of Man, Jesus, and his actions central. So we're kind of got a little bit of a problem. Which interpretation is true? Which reading of the text is accurate? Have you ever found yourself asking that question? Maybe you're, maybe you're asking that question right now. Great, Jason, you just really muddied the water for me. Thanks. Maybe it's um, on another text that we as a church have gone through in the past. Maybe uh, it's in a small group setting in our house church. Which interpretation, which reading of the text is true? Maybe it's when you're in your quiet time and you're reading your Bible and you just read a hard text and your mind just begins to start firing off different ideas of what the text might mean. Or maybe it's the experience when you're in house church or in a small group setting and you just read a text and all of a sudden there's 20 different people that are throwing out, well, this is what the text means to me, this is what the text means to me, and they're not really in unison. Have you ever been there? I have. So how do you reconcile? How do you dig down to find not what the text means to you today, but what the text means for all people of all time? In other words, how do we attempt to extract God's intended meaning from this? It's a beautiful thing. At at Church Project, we have three marks as a church. They're behind me. And, And the first mark is a desire to be biblical. And that desire to be a biblical church doesn't mean that we're just gonna be in this. Or that Aaron or whoever's gonna teach is gonna teach from this. And that we're going to ask, well, where'd you get this or that from? Because it needs to come from here. It's a desire from the core of our being to understand what God might be saying through this. You see the difference? So the question still remains, how do we attempt to accomplish this as a church, as a church family? Imperfectly, yes, but how are we to strive to read Scripture with the desire to first and foremost see what God intends to teach us? And then second, how do we conform, how do we come under that teaching and have it transform our lives? It's a big question. Spoiler alert, I'm not going to answer that in its fullness today. Sorry, we don't really have time. 
back to the text. As we read through this text, we have, like many texts, internal clues because God doesn't desire to throw us out on the island and say, I hope you figure it out, toodles. He, he gives us tools, he gives us clues within the text. We just, we need to desire to glean them out. And so that's what we're going to try to do this morning with this text. And some of the clues often take the shape of of cause and effect language, meaning certain events are produced, are caused by earlier or later ones within the text. And as we walk through this text, you can see this cause and effect principle take place in Luke 19, 1 through 10. As an example, let's just, you know, do this deal and just drop your finger on the page. In verse 4, we find that Zacchaeus is in a tree. But it doesn't take a lot of you know, genius thought to realize that that's not the main point of the text. There's a reason that he's in the tree. And if you backtrack through the text, you see, well, he's in the tree because he was amongst a big crowd and he's a short little dude and he can't see. So out of necessity, he scurries up a tree. But you can see that that's not really the reason for everything. You got to backtrack one more step. And the backtrack is, well, he wanted to seek Jesus. Therefore, he's amongst a crowd. Therefore, he's in a tree. But we also see that the the story doesn't really end there. As we move along through the story, it comes to its climactic end when Jesus announces that today salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. And if we are not careful to see and understand the clues that the the context provides, we could find ourselves backtracking through the story, using this cause and effect principle and find ourselves agreeing with the Sunday school song that Zacchaeus' salvation was ultimately a result of Zacchaeus' seeking. Because in reality, the text actually says something different. It says that Zacchaeus' salvation was ultimately a result of Jesus' seeking. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is a son of Abraham. Four, there's the clue word, four. Really important. It's only a three-letter word. It's amazing that that would have that much significance, but it does. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. For is a conjunction used to express cause and explanation. So that means that the intent of this text is for us to see the beautiful display of the story of Zacchaeus and to pair those two things with the beautiful story of Jesus seeking and saving. Does that make sense? It's the intent of the text to communicate that salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus, not ultimately Because Zacchaeus was seeking Jesus, which caused him to climb a tree to see what he might see, not ultimately because he obeyed Jesus' call to come down and allow Jesus into his home, but because this son of man, Jesus, came to accomplish the mission of seeking out the perishable, seeking out the destroyed, seeking out the lost and save them. That's why 
earlier, I said that the intent of the text was to overshadow all things in light, in comparison to this Jesus. That's why earlier I said it is the intent of this text for us as its readers to read all elements of this passage in light of our understanding of Jesus. To see that the act of seeking and saving the lost not only purchased the redemptive possibility for Zacchaeus, the act of seeking and saving the lost also bought the redemptive means to accomplish it. So when we read this text and we see Zacchaeus' condition prior to Christ, what do we see? We see a tax collector, a thief, a liar, a traitor to his own people. And that in some mysterious way, this spiritually dead soul was seeking Jesus. Was curious enough about Jesus that he was going to brave the streets. Think about this. okay? More than likely, this Zacchaeus probably was going to go out from his home into a crowd of people in which he had stolen from, lied to, and belittled. And yet his curiosity about this Jesus said, forget it, I don't care, I got to see this guy. It was Christ, he was Christ focused enough to scurry up and sit in a tree. Just think about that. hoping that Jesus might come that way, who was open enough to respond to Jesus' call to come to his home, who was convicted enough to give large amounts of his wealth. That picture is not expressed so that we might focus on the external evidences of Zacchaeus' conversion process. Let me say that again. All of those elements of this text, they are communicated not so that we would focus on the external evidences of Zacchaeus' conversion process. All these details are communicated so that we might sit in awe of the supernatural internal working about how Jesus draws spiritually dead souls and brings them from darkness into light. Do you see that? It's communicating that Zacchaeus was seeking because Jesus was first seeking him. And he had called him to respond to the message of hope that Jesus had. These 10 verses are intending for us to see the mysterious power of the gospel in a specific way, in a specific person's life. Seeing how the lost are saved. So that we might see Jesus as greater. Seeing the power at work in lives that have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Who have brought upon them the wage of sin which is death. Romans 6.23. Who shall suffer the punishment because of that sin of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the might, the glory of his might. 1 Thessalonians 1.9. That's Zacchaeus. And scripture tells us that he is a sinner like you and I. 
apart from Christ, that none is righteous, no, not one, Romans 3, 9. Scripture tells us that because of this unrighteous condition, we set our minds on the things that are unrighteous, Romans 8, 5 through 9. What that means is sin produces sin, and yet we see a man acting countercultural to himself, seeking out things that he would not naturally seek out. And this is possible because Scripture also tells us that God has created a narrow gate in which some will find the hard way that leads to life, Matthew seven fourteen. That he has not left those who might find this narrow gate up to chance, but he's drawing individuals. He's seeking out individuals so that they might be drawn near, brought near. John 6, 44. That this plan to draw and gather his children that have been scattered has been the plan since the, before the ages began, Ephesians 1, 3 through 7, that Jesus knows who his sheep are. And he knows who is going to follow him. John 10, 24, listen to this. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify of me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It's through God's free gift of grace that we've received him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to him he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of Blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 1, 11 through 13. And it just keep going and going and going. 1 Timothy 1, 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Where God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Where Zacchaeus, you and I were dead. In our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. Colossians 2, 13 through 14, where we are called to respond, to believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Acts 16, 31, it is littered with the mission and with the seeking and the saving of the Savior. See it? And I have... Such a small, small view of that. I 
as I go throughout my week and as I'm doing the things that I'm doing, I have such a small view of that mission of what he has come to do. And that's why I'm so thankful for texts like this. That point, and, and sometimes, sometimes need to prod me towards deeper thinking, towards deeper affections of my Lord and Savior. And it, because it can get all too familiar too fast, can it not? I needed to be reminded of the size and the scope of that gospel this week. Maybe you can relate with that need a little bit. Maybe you're here this morning and you are just weary, worn down, tired. Life as a whole, maybe it's just familiar. Maybe that's a good way, way to just sum up where you're at today. Maybe it's going 110 miles an hour. Maybe it's so repetitive that you can't distinguish one day from another. I don't know. If you're here this morning and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, maybe you, like me, need to be reminded that just like in this story, Jesus' love is seeking you out in very practical ways. You want to see the practical? Look at Zacchaeus. That he desires to continue to bring you freedom and refreshment to you just in the same way that he did when he brought you to him the very first time. I think we just sometimes think that the gospel is for our conversion experience and then we kind of just walk away from it and try to engage this world and try to find the next thing, the next thing that's going to kind of stir you up and the next uh, spiritual, significant spiritual experience so that you might feel closer to God. And I would argue that this text, along with the entirety of the scripture, says that it's about his gospel. Be reminded of it every day. Come before the throne of your king and sit in awe of what he's done in your life and just let it wash over you and refresh you in the beauty of his gospel. Maybe you're here this morning and you need assurance that the God of the universe is seeking out people that he's still seeking out people. Maybe you've got people in your mind right now that you've been faithfully praying for, faithfully connecting with, faithfully, practically loving, and they're just hard. They're just resistant. Maybe this text needs to encourage you to continue to be dependent on God's work in salvation and his call to you to continue to do those things faithfully. Maybe you're more like me Sometimes you just need a kick in the butt and ask, what are you doing in light of the fact that Jesus is seeking and saving people? Maybe you need to sit before the throne of your Savior and be reminded about where you were when you were saved 
and what he has done on your part and allow that to, to break the pride in which you view other people. That's my problem. It's usually not. Lord, I just don't see you doing anything for me. It's usually, God, I hope you do something because you're going to and I'm going to sit over here and not partake. Maybe you need that charge this morning. What are you doing? How are you coming alongside the mission of your king? Maybe you're here this morning and you've been challenged that you could grow in reading God's word. I know there's probably too many resources that we might be able to get into your hands. But I think a great place to start is to, to be in prayerful dependence that God would incline your heart to show you what he might teach you. And then the second is really practical. After reading through the scripture, try answering two questions. First and foremost, what does the text say about God? Then what does the text say about man? And then take those answers and allow that to foster worship about what God is like and his relationship to you as his creation. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to know more about this Jesus and what he's done on our behalf. I I'm sure that there are several individuals in this room that would love to share what he has done on our behalf. We have a sweet, sweet Jesus, do we not? My prayer is that we treasure him as we love the city of Greeley this week, amen? At this time, I'd just like the worship team to come back up and we're just gonna take a couple minutes of just personal meditation and reflection on what Jesus and his word might be teaching us. Just ask that you kind of close your eyes, maybe close your Bible and your notes and just reflect on what God might be teaching you, revealing himself to you and then we'll close in a couple songs of worship.